Uh, if you're new to Table Community, my name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, most months I am the one standing up here preaching, but I actually took the month of December off with the exception of Christmas Eve uh, later this week. And uh, as we have worked our way through this Advent series on delighting in the Trinity, I've asked several different people uh, in our church family and on staff to preach. So I opened the series the week after Thanksgiving, and then Adam and Carrie Faye, and then later uh, this morning, Jordan, one of our other pastors, is going to preach. But before he does, I want to remind you of a couple of very important announcements all around our Christmas Eve gathering. We will be gathering for Christmas Eve on December 24th, Christmas Eve, at 3 and 4.30 at the Venetian Theater in downtown Hillsborough. I would love to encourage you to invite someone to our Christmas Eve gathering. I have been working really hard to craft a sermon that is hopefully geared toward, aimed at those who are far from God, and to invite them into this relationship that is God, this loving relationship that we have been describing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so would you prayerfully consider inviting someone who is uh, closest to you relationally, but furthest from God? Maybe that's a parent, maybe it's a, an adult child, maybe it's a coworker or a friend, but would you invite them to the Christmas Eve gathering? And a couple of uh, quick logistical things about the Christmas Eve gathering. Uh, we will not have childcare available, so we're making it kid-friendly. We would ask you to bring your kids to that. And uh, we will not be live streaming that gathering. So uh, for those of you in particular, those of you who are watching this at home, if you normally live stream, we will not provide live stream for the Christmas Eve gathering, unfortunately, but we would invite you to attend in person for that. And then the other important announcement about Christmas, this is really important, especially if you're new to our church and you're not used to this tradition, we will not be gathering on the 26th. Okay, so the Sunday after Christmas Eve, we do not gather. So if you show up here on that Sunday morning, you will be cold and alone standing outside. So please do not do that. If you're a community leader, uh, please remind your community of this. Uh, we just don't want people showing up here. We'll just have a sign on the door. Good? Okay, great. So I'm going to invite uh, Jordan to come on up. Jordan, come on up. Welcome, Jordan. This this is hardly Jordan's first time preaching, but it is his first time preaching at Table Community. We hired Jordan not so many months ago, and this is his first uh, time preaching on stage. And so we thought it would be appropriate to put a lot of pressure on him by having him talk about Jesus the Sunday before Christmas to wrap up our entire Advent series and to preach the last Sunday sermon of the year. So no pressure at all, but... We're really excited. Thanks for your confidence, yeah, man. Yeah, love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were here last week, um, Carrie Faye preached an amazing sermon on the Holy Spirit, and um, she started off her sermon just kind of setting me up for failure that I had to wear a black shirt um, and a beard, and one of those things I could provide, the other I cannot, and so um, within a week, I tried to grow it, It still my three hairs, I just can't do anything with it, so shade them all off today. Anyway, I hope that, uh, that I look the part at least. Um, so just thanks so much for, for just welcoming me here. I mean, even just you guys welcoming me on stage, like this just makes me feel at home. Uh, I can't believe that it's already been six months since I've been on staff here. Um, super cool, super exciting. Um, I'm excited to be able to do this this morning. I love what I get to do as a job, um, and this normally isn't it. But when I have these opportunities to be able to get on stage and be able to open God's word with our church, these are just special times for me. Uh, I wouldn't say this is my natural 
little gifting, but this is something that I think God has kind of given me a grace gift with, and so hopefully I don't screw it up. Um, so uh, I just want to be able to just, before we dive in, before we pray, and let you know, church, as the newest staff member, um, we have an amazing staff team. Um, we have a pastoral staff and a ministry staff and elders who care deeply about this church, who humbly lead, and it has been such a joy to be welcomed on this staff team and to be able to move forward with vision as quick as I've been able to join this team and feel like I'm a part of it and say, guys, let's do this thing together. Um, it has just been such a joy. So I hope that you feel blessed by um, the, the, the leadership that, that you've been able to sit under for six, almost seven years now as a church. So um, it's a really cool thing. It's a unique thing. All right, before we go too much further, let's just pray. Let's uh, invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts and to speak to us and to prepare us for what he has for us. God, I just want to start off this morning and just declare, ask, beg that we need you. Nothing that we do, any of us, from our greeters and our ushers to our children's workers to our worship team, to what I'm doing right now, none of it has any power on its own. We prep, but you're the one who moves hearts. And God, we need you to move hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Many of us have walked in this room with many different experiences in life this past week, many different thoughts and emotions on who you are, where we land with this topic of the Trinity. And I ask Holy Spirit, that you would just come in and refresh in our souls and lead us to you. And then when we leave this place, that we just feel your presence and we're encouraged. For those of us who are giving you another shot because we just feel so far from you, God, draw near. For those of us who feel great in our relationship with you, encourage, convict us of sin, and move us forward in a relationship with you. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, um, if we haven't got a chance to meet, my name's Jordan, and I would love a chance to be able to meet you. So I'm not going to do this uh, every time that I have an opportunity to preach, but I thought I would just spend a couple seconds and dode on my family just a little bit. So um, you'll be able to see a, a picture of, of them behind me. So my wife and I, um, we actually are celebrating our 20th year anniversary uh, this coming up Wednesday. So I know, exciting times. Um, don't call me on Wednesday. I'll be on vacation, and we're going to be out of McMinnville. It'll be a, a sweet time. Um, she uh, works as a nurse educator over at Kaiser, and, um, and she is uh, an amazing life partner and a an amazing spouse. Uh, the relationship that we are able to have together by the grace of God, she makes me a better man. She makes me a better father. She uh, has definitely made me a better pastor over the years that God has given me to be able to work in his church. Uh, he has gifted us with three amazing kids, and I can say that actually and believe it. I don't feel like I have to tell you that they're amazing just because I have to. They actually really are. We're at a sweet stage in life where all my kids are in high school, and uh, I've been able to see the Lord work in them in unique ways, as well as them just growing up and maturing. I had no hope for them whenever they were in elementary school, and now I actually have hope for them. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a cool thing. Uh, Austin, who is um, the guy all the way over here, he is my senior in high school, so we're entering into a new stage of life of prepping him to be launched, whatever that looks like for him. Um, he is an amazing kid. He's confident. He's caring. 
He's compassionate. And if you know anything about Austin, he loves being the life of the party. Uh, that's just the kind of guy he is all the time. Landon, my Goldilocks, um, he is a junior in, in high school, and uh, the dude, so both Austin and Landon both get to, to play basketball over at Faith Bible. Uh, they're both starting on the varsity team, and Landon, uh, Austin was able to travel this weekend, but Landon had a tournament this past weekend over in John Day, and the boys' varsity basketball team took the championship. So it was super exciting, and it's fun to be able to watch this kid who is so dedicated to this sport as also in life. Um, just a little short story about him. This isn't in my notes. This one's for free. Uh, he's the kid whenever he was going into kindergarten that my wife and I were apologizing to kindergarten teachers. And like, this is, um, this, it, he's a special kid. Like that's pretty much what, what we said. Um, and then we get, you know, months into the year and we have parent teacher conferences. And I remember my wife and I walking into the school to the school into his classroom and we're like bracing for impact. Like he's a good kid but he has to work on a lot of things. But she said he was the sweetest kid ever. I'm like, oh my gosh, like who is this child um, who just cried and screamed about everything that when he didn't get his way, he's actually a good kid. And so that, that was super fun for us. And I mean, it, I, I share these stories just to say, if you're in those years, it does get better, I promise. Um, and man, my kids are, um, I got a couple of teachers in the room, so hopefully I'm not lying, but uh, of my children. Um, but they, they're sweet, sweet kids. Um, they're still teenagers. They do stupid things. They're my sweet baby girl, Noel. She's a freshman in high school. She is my heart. She has my heart. Um, and her gentle touch and her gentle words fills me every time that she just gifts me with that. Okay, um, this sermon's not about my family, so we'll be able to just move forward. Delighting in the Trinity. This is where we've been over the past three weeks. This is week four in, into this. Um, my second week on staff here at TCC, the staff drug me on a week-long uh, retreat getaway. Now, I think I used drug me kind of sarcastically because I think I had my bags packed ready to go before I was even hired on. I was super excited about being able to, to, to jump onto this trip to be able to join this, this team. Um, and, but for the entire week, uh, we spent some time talking about some really deep things for us as a church. And a, a big piece of that was what is our identity uh, as a church? Like we knew who we are as TCC, but let's solidify that. Let's know that as we continue to move forward. And um, this was the first time in all of my years in ministry that I've heard a church talk about, we want to center ourselves on being a church that loves uh, and leads our church to participate in the Trinitarian love of God. Now, uh, I've been to Bible college, and I've taken a number of seminary classes. I, I know the Trinity. Uh, I believe wholeheartedly in the Trinity, and I really even believe it's the core essential of who we are as a church. But is it something that really could be a core identity for us as a church? Um, could it be something for us to be able to participate in? That's why this series has been so good for me, even as a staff member. Like many of you, I have greatly appreciated this series uh, as we've seen the nature of God in this way. Not just something that we can passively enjoy theologically, but we could be led, it, led into and invited into as we are adopted as God's sons and daughters to participate in this Trinitarian love of God. Now, um, I, told, I was told this many years ago, so this isn't something that I come up with, but um, I was told that our relationship with God is a lot like the ocean. Um, I love heading off to the beach. 
on a, um, on a day that's not freezing, uh, being able to go to the beach, being able to um, hike up our, our pants or our shorts and to be able to put our feet in the ocean and having the waves crash over our, um, over our ankles. It's, it's a really refreshing and awe-inspiring thing. And not just being able to be refreshed by the ocean, but being blown away by the magnitude of the water and be able to see for all you geography people, don't judge me, but just thinking that the next land that if I just kept walking is either going to be Japan or Russia or whatever it is that's on the other side, right? It is just huge and it is massive and we can just be blown away by just taking off our shoes, getting our ankles wet and being refreshed by the ocean and saying, man, this thing is amazing and awesome. But if you explored the depths of the ocean, you would see an entirely different world. Will Smith, he put a docu- docu-series out on Disney Plus called Welcome to Earth. In one of the episodes, he travels uh, to the Bahamas area, so out in the ocean near the Bahamas, Bahamas in this bubble-type submarine, and he goes to the depths of the ocean. He travels 3,300 feet below the ocean uh, floor and um, be able to just see the life that is underneath the water. Um, if you haven't seen it, Go check it out. It is actually pretty cool. So many sermon illustrations that we can't even get to within that, that whole series or that, that whole episode alone. But as he's talking with the, the marine biologist, uh, here's some things that either I knew and forgot or I wasn't aware of that, A, the deepest part of the ocean is over 36,000 feet deep. So Will was sitting 3,300 feet. And if we, you get to the deepest part of the oceans, you can go 36,000 feet below the surface. The marine biologist also said that less than 1% of all of the ocean has been explored. So 99% of the ocean has never been seen or never been explored. It is just that vast. And this one blew me away. Uh, she said that of all the places that animals can live on our globe, that 99% of those animals live in the ocean. Fact check it. I, I don't know. I'm not a marine biologist, but that's, that's what she said. And uh, the reason I bring this up is that, that we could stand in the nature of God on the seashore and be blown away by him, or we can go deep in understanding who he is and see a whole nother world of him and just be blown away in a much different level in a way that we didn't even expect or think that we could be blown away by. The shore's nice, but the depths are so much more beautiful. That same is true about God. So two weeks ago, um, Adam got up here and he was speaking about the Father. Remembering back the Father, who he is. Not primarily as creator, though he is creator. He's not primary as creator. His primary being is love. Because of who he is within the Trinity, because of who he is with Son and with Spirit, because of who he is with us, because of his entire story that he laid out, his main essence is love. And not just any type of general love, it is a very specific love that he has for his Son. Hear me, a specific love, not a general love. And what's cool about you and I, as we enter into relationship with God, as we are adopted as sons and daughters, we are invited into this love as well. So we get to experience that same love. That is primarily who he is. Last week, we saw the the Spirit of God come out in a sermon, and we learned that the Spirit of God is not someone, uh, or sorry, is someone that we can intimately know and that we can receive life from. 
you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. Fantastic sermon of just uh, how we live with and in the Spirit of God. Today we're going to talk about Jesus, the Son of God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? Like previous sermons, we're going to break this up into four different, uh, four different categories. We're going to talk about a couple of tensions that we see. We're going to dive into scripture. Uh, we're going to talk about some implications. And then lastly, we're going to end with an application piece. But let's just dive right on into some tensions that we see with inside of Jesus being the son of God. So I want to highlight two. There are lots of them uh, that, that we could dive into. But the very first one is, is this, is that if you, if you grew up in Sunday school, Jesus is the answer to everything right? And you're probably not going to be wrong. Whenever I teach uh, our children's classes here on Sunday morning, I ask the question, how often do I get Jesus? And you think it may end with third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. No, no. I ask seniors in high school questions, Bible questions. Uh, the answer you get, Jesus, right? We're taught at a young age that Jesus is the answer to everything. And they're not wrong in saying that. But the reality is, is like, where do we start? There are so many different things we could talk about. As I be, uh, began praying about this a couple of months ago, where are we going? Like, I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be to kind of find a place to land and have the weight and tension of, is this the right thing to focus on? We could talk about so many different things, but uh, that's one of the tensions. So hopefully I don't screw it up. Okay. Um, secondly, Jesus is the most relatable person in the Trinity, like we've seen in the past that God the Father, there was a tension with God being a father because not a lot of us had good relationships with fathers. And so we struggle seeing God as our father or we, we don't understand the depths of his love. Or we look at the Old Testament God who went through and wiped out all the people living in the nation of Israel, killed women and children so that the nation of Israel can, can, be, can live in the promised land. You see this God, you're like, who is it? Like, what's going on there? Is that, is that relatable? Do, can I know this God? But we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus. We're like, ah, I get Jesus. Holy Spirit we struggle with because we don't know what to do with it, Right? So you have Pentecostals who do something different. Then you have Southern Baptists who do something different. And then we sit in the middle going like, I don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, right? And so we just kind of ignore him. And I love what Carrie Faye did to be able to bring him back into our lives so that we can live and participate with him. Um, but Jesus, I get Jesus. Maybe you're like Ricky Bobby who um, loves to think about Jesus being uh, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, right? Like, I just like praying to baby Jesus. I just get to picture Jesus however I want, right? And then his buddy, Cal, is sitting at the Thanksgiving table. He's like, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo shirt, right? So it says that he's formal, but he also says, I like to party, right? Is that, is that the Jesus that we like to, to be able to, to relate with? Um, Maybe we, we, we like to be able to, to make Jesus who, you know, in Scripture seems so stiff, and we create bobblehead Jesus, right? And so we have um, the, the bobblehead Jesus that we can just, he just looks more relatable. Or we can say, Jesus is my homeboy, right? This is just ways that we've just made Jesus cool in our culture. Um, here's something that I participated in, so don't judge me. Um, so there are, we, we make cool little Christmas sweatshirts, right? I don't know if you can see that, right? But... Uh, Go, Jesus, it's your birthday, right? And so we make 50 cent songs and put them into Jesus, right? And so uh, these, are, these are all the different ways that we like to make Jesus relatable. Um, this can be attention depending on how far that we want to take it. Not, 
obviously, not only people inside the, or outside the church do this with Jesus, we do it all the time in so many different ways. And this isn't all bad. Like, I love mocking Christian culture where Christian culture deserves to be mocked, right? Um, usually around worship leaders. And then we, we want to talk about the youth pastor, or we can talk about the youth pastors too. Um, the danger in doing this, the danger in doing this is when we end up shaping Jesus into our image. And we worship that Jesus because he's the one that we are most comfortable with. I think we do this all the time. And we don't even know that we do it. But we need to see Jesus as the son of God. We need to see Jesus as um, an, a, eternally with the Father and the Spirit. We need to see the Son of God as creating the world and holding it all together. We need to see the Son being eternally beloved by the Father. Of every love that the Father has, he lavishes on his Son. And when we get to see the life of Jesus, then we also get to see Jesus being able to pour out all of his love towards the Father. God is not selfish because he's giving everything that he has away. And Jesus is doing the exact same thing. And Jesus constantly um, is looking for ways to be united and glorifying the Father. Look for that as we just continue the John series, uh, especially when we get to John 17. We just look, see so many of these things. This paints a different picture of Jesus. This gives us a beautiful picture of how we could be united in mission with Jesus, the Son of God. So it's my goal today that this is a big Jesus sermon. Um, that I'm not looking to wow you with any crazy words um, and, or, or uh, spark knowledge that maybe you didn't have before coming in today, but I want us to see the beauty of Jesus. So we're going to spend a few minutes uh, unpacking Colossians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, I encourage you to follow along with me. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. It's going to be on the screen behind me um, using the ESV version today. So uh, before we begin reading Colossians chapter 1, let's do a little bit of unpacking and see what's going on here. Um, the book of Colossians. Before writing this letter, the Apostle Paul, so A, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church in Colossae. So uh, before writing this letter, Paul is sitting at a, uh, in a town called Ephesus, which is about 100 miles away from where Colossae is. And he is preaching the word of God. He spent about three years there. Now, there's a guy from Colossae that ended up coming over to Ephesus. His name is Epaphras, and we see him in Colossians chapter 1. He came to know Christ, and he became a follower of, follower of Jesus and a disciple of Paul. He went back to Colossae to plant this church there in Colossae, and, uh, and the church grew in great ways. Paul never visited the church in Colossae. He ended up in Rome, and he is now in Rome Epaphras has planted the church, and now he went to travel to Rome to see Jesus. I'm sorry, to see Jesus, to see um, Paul. I'm sure he saw Jesus in Paul anyway. Um, and uh, so he, he went there to see Paul. Paul encouraged him, and Paul wrote this letter to encourage the church there in Colossians, or Colossae. Um, the problem with this church, the church is being influenced by outside worldviews. Can you see how this is relatable for us today? The church being influenced by outside worldviews, not just one or two different things. It is just the way the world sees 50 Cent and we bring it into our church. 
Some scholars say that these outside worldviews crept inside the church and began to threaten the core essential doctrines of faith. Epiphras sought the wisdom of Paul and he wrote this letter. Um, okay, all of chapter one is Paul's introduction and all Paul is doing in this introduction is to say, um, we need to make much about Jesus. We need, to make, we need to make much about Jesus. We need to make much about Jesus. So, um, after his opening words of thankfulness, he begins to remind them of their identity in Christ. Let's look at verse 9 and read these first couple of verses together. So the first thing that I want us to see as we dive in is that the believers in Colossae were adopted into God's story through God's son. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, um, his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, um, and be increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all the endurance and the patience with joy." What I love that Paul is doing here right off the bat is he's taking the focus off of him. He spends the first part of this chapter just thanking God for them and praying for them. He's not thinking that he has some kind of wisdom he needs apart that they need to obey Paul. He's saying, I can't change this church, but Holy Spirit of God, you know how to change this church. So I'm praying for you as I see these wrestles that you're wrestling with. Holy Spirit of God, come in, change, and do a miraculous work inside these people. Then... Um, let's look at verse 12. I'm going to back up verse 11 because that's where the, the period was. Uh, it says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all the endurance and the patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. The believers in Colossae share in the inheritance of the saints. Think about this. These Colossian believers are Greek people. They are not Jewish. They hear the Jewish laws and they hear the Jewish stories and they see the saints of the past thinking all the way back to Exodus where the nation of Israel is enslaved uh, in Egypt and they saw God do um, 10 mighty miracles, the emphasis being on the 10th miracle, the, the, the killing of all firstborn sons unless the blood of the lamb is over the doorpost and then uh, the angel of death comes through, Pharaoh releases the people of Israel, the Israel are freed from captivity, they're heading now towards the promised land because of that last Last final plague that we know standing on this side of the cross that that re represents the blood of the lamb the savior jesus christ and so these believers are now and they get to participate in this inheritance even though that may not be their story because uh, they're not jewish people they are greek-speaking people um, they are now having the inheritance of these saints this is now your story you are now being adopted into this you might as well be jewish from this point on because of who you are through the blood of jesus and what happened through the beloved son on the cross God's story with humanity, with Jesus being the redeemer, began all the way back in Genesis. 
We see the verse, the first gospel word spoken in Genesis 3.15. We see sin coming in at Genesis 3. And we see all of the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus and saying, he is the center of everything that God is doing. And then we see the gospels right in the middle of what the climax of all history, what Jesus did with his disciples that ended with him on the cross and being resurrected. Then everything that happened after um, the gospels is pointing back to Jesus to say, how amazing is this man? I mean, this is the gospel story from beginning to end. And we get to find ourselves in the midst of this, not because we deserve it, but because God sees fit that we understand and find ourselves in the midst of this. But Jesus could never accomplish this if he was not God's son, if Jesus was not God. It would just be a good man, a good prophet, dying on the cross, doing something good for you and me. But God, or Jesus was so much more than that. So we get to find exactly what the Colossians people found, what we see at the very end of this, redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The groundwork has been laid. The story has been set. Second point that I want us to see here Who is this Jesus? We see big picture, but who is this Jesus? I want to do something a little unique. Um, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as I read 15 through 20 over you and just listen to my words. Then I want to go back through and walk through it together. Close your eyes. Listen to this. Ingest this. Let the Holy Spirit speak truth of this into who you are. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's who Jesus is. The very first thing I want us to see, verse 15. If you got your eyes closed, you can open them now. Um, yeah, so. Unless you're asleep, I see you. Oh, all right. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. All throughout history, God has been veiled, physically veiled. I mean, he's been very present as he spoke with the prophets, as he spoke with people, as his Holy Spirit led the nation of Israel by fire and by cloud, and the Holy Spirit descended into the Holy of Holies in the temple in the Old Testament. I mean, God was very visible in that way, right? But you can never see the face of God. Moses, at one point in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, we see that he asked to see God, and God said, you can't see my face, because if you see my face, you will die. If you're familiar with this story, then what we, uh, what we also see is that God said, hide behind this rock, I will pass by, I will tell you when to, to look, and you can see my back as I'm going that direction, and you will know who I am. And God did that, Moses did that, saw the back of God, and Moses didn't know it, but his face was glowing, right? We get to chapter 34, he comes down off the mountain, Moses comes off the mountain, the nation of Israel sees Moses' face glowing just because he saw the back of God. 
So God has been veiled. The mystery of God was not fully revealed. We even see that as we continue reading Colossians, that the mystery was not revealed yet. But Jesus, he is the image of this invisible God. If you skip down to verse 19, which we'll get to in a minute, it also says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God was fully in Jesus in a way that he's not fully in us because Jesus is the son of God. If you flip over to 2.9, which we're not going to get to today, but just see it there also in Colossians, it says, for in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells. If we jump back to John 1.18, which we were at um, seven years ago, it felt like. No, I'm just kidding. Um, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known, right? The mystery has now been revealed. Jesus is that invisible image. Jesus is God. Now, we can't move on from this section without talking about that one awkward text. It could be awkward, right? That he is the firstborn of all creation, this statement can cause problems with us because us sitting where we are today, we can read that and say, wait a minute, did God create um, Jesus just like he created you and me? Is Jesus a created being? What is going on? He's a firstborn of all creation. Like, wh what, what does that really mean? And I don't want to oversimplify or move way too fast beyond that, but uh, I've done uh, a bunch of reading around this today, and I encourage you to, you to do the same as well. But knowing what a firstborn son in the first century really meant, that when a father, a general father, had a firstborn son, all the inheritance went to that, to that son. So when that father passed away, the son, the oldest son, the firstborn son, is what took on everything. And that is what God is looking at, is saying, Jesus, my son, the firstborn of all creation, not that he was created, but he is my son who I am putting everything on and I'm giving all of me into him. And so he is now living it out. So that's, um, yeah, what we read here is the connection of the rights and privileges of being a firstborn son. Jesus inherits all of that. All right, verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all that were created through him and for him. So um, by him, all things were created. Jesus did not come into existence on Christmas morning, though Christmas morning is a beautiful thing to celebrate as the birth of Jesus coming into this world. Jesus has eternally existed before creation, and he was actively involved in putting the world into motion as God um, and Father, Son, and Spirit were doing that all together. All things were made for the glory of Christ. Jesus was not plan B whenever sin came into the world. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a plan. And that is exactly what he lived out as he created. This was God the Father's intent, pre-fall, post-fall. All things were created by Jesus. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus sustains creation which prevents it from falling into chaos. I don't know what you were taught about hell. Um, I was taught about hell mainly from Tom and Jerry. Like, so, um, right, there's, there, there's a red devil with a pitchfork. Um, and 
I knew the Bible, fiery, like uh, fire and gnashing of teeth, right? That's, that's a real biblical thing. We, we see fire, we see pitchfork always poking, right? That's just what, like, that's what I pictured hell. I didn't want to go to that place. That seemed like a really bad place. But as I've matured, I've been able to see hell in a much different way. It was explained to me in this way, and it is actually more terrifying to me. Hell is the place where God's not. All the other stuff that the Bible says about hell is absolutely true. We read it and we know it, right? But what we need to know more than anything else is that hell is a place that God, existing in Father, Son, and Spirit, are not. His presence is fully removed. You and I, we have no grasp of what that means. We see the, 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 the pieces of hell kind of pop up from here to there as we live on, on planet Earth. But yet, we see the sunrise every single morning. We see the rainfall. I saw the snowfall as I was driving back from John Day yesterday. Like, beautiful things. Our hearts beat constantly, right? Um, for majority of us in this room, my wife and I were talking about this this past week, that it is crazy that from um, before you're born, your heart stops, starts beating, and it doesn't stop for like 100 years. Like, that is the one thing that doesn't run out of Duracell battery. Like, that thing just keeps going and going. Like, God put that into motion. It is because the existence of God that all of this stuff is in motion. There is not chaos because Jesus exists. But if he were to remove himself, that's what hell is. And that is a place I do not want to be. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he might be preeminent. In other words, he might surpass everything. He is the head of the church. The Bible talks about the church like a body. You get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You get to see hands and feet and eyes. We all participate in the body, but Christ. Ephesians 5, but Christ is the head of the church. We all submit to Christ. You and I can have theological disagreements on non-essential things all day long. And with those non-essential things, we can come to a place to agree to disagree if, if we surrender to the authority of Christ. Number 19, sorry, verse 19. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, connecting back to the Old Testament, the fullness of God that all of he once was from everything that we know from written history. He existed way before that, but everything we know from written, written history, all of that fullness is now in Christ and we get to see that in a beautiful way. Isaiah 6, we get to see a beautiful picture of God. So Isaiah sees a vision of God in the heavens, sitting on his throne, angels surrounded, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His train filled the, um, the, the, the temple, right? I want to focus on that, of just the temple being filled with the glory of who God is. And what uh, Paul is saying is that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Jesus is filling this room just like Isaiah's vision. The Holy Spirit working to point us to Christ through what God the Father has loved us and led us into. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. What is the purpose of all of who Jesus is? That's where we get to verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament was prepping. It was love at its pinnacle. It was love at its peak. It was everything that God intended to reconcile 
us to him through his son, Jesus, and what he accomplished on the cross. So what the Colossian church experienced, what we saw in those first verses, is our reality as well when we surrender our lives to Christ. Okay, transitioning into implications. There is a depth to Jesus that can be missed if we just see Jesus as our homeboy. There's a beautiful reality to participating in the Trinitarian love of God. Seeing God as primarily Father and Spirit as the one who breathes life into us and that life is Christ in Christ redeeming and reconciling us to the Father. All of that we may know in head knowledge, but that is just not some theological beauty we can look at and say, isn't God good? We get to participate in the midst of all of this if we let him. So, implications. Three implications for us to see in the midst of all this story. First, to see the full scope of the Trinity. If the Trinity is confusing, which it is to me still at times, right? If you can't wrap your mind around it, the full scope of the Trinity can be seen in the work of Jesus. Don't just know his story, read his story. That's why we're investing 25 years in the book of John so that we can see the book, so that we can see Jesus in all of his glory. Like the book of John is a beautiful picture of how all of this fits together. Father, Son, Spirit. Like the entire Bible does it, but nothing does it like the book of John. So see the full scope of the Trinity. Look at Jesus. Invest in Jesus. Know Jesus. Don't let it end with Jesus. Allow that pursuit and love of Jesus to drive you to know the Father and to drive you to know the Spirit and to participate in the midst of all of that because you can't participate in one without the other. Secondly, through Jesus, you have been given identity You've been given belonging, and you've been given purpose. Being in youth ministry, I know that that is every teenager's question. Is God relevant to me? What is my identity? What is my, do I belong in this place? Also, is what kind of purpose do I have on this earth? And that's not just a youth ministry question. We are all asking that question. We all look for this. And when we don't feel connected to an answer to that, that's when we stray from God because we start finding those places or those things in other places. That's where we begin to fail. We, like Jesus, have been created in the image of God. What's different with Jesus is that Jesus was not born of man. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit without sin. But you and I are born of the flesh and Jesus' image bearing is his son of Godness, that he didn't have to, um, yeah, he didn't need anything else other than his relationship with his father. But because of our broken sin nature, everything that we do leads us away from the father. It is through the cross that we are led back into relationship with the son. And it is then that, like Colossians said earlier, we have been trans, uh, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. This alone shapes our identity. We can ask all the other cultural questions, and they're good questions, and we have to ask them. We have to engage them. We have to be a safe place to be able to engage with them. But our identity, first and foremost, as Jesus' followers, starts with that story of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the light as we participate in the Trinitarian love of God. What is our, um, and when we do that, we now belong to the family of God. And we as a church want to be a place where people who walk in these doors 
belong. We want to see people. That's why community are so important, is so important here at TCC is because we want everyone to know that they belong. So not just on a Sunday morning, but you belong in this church family. So we will fight hard to be able to lead you into a community. So that last question, what is our purpose? And that's where my last statement comes in. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, but here we are. To fall in love with Jesus means to experience, means to embrace, means to participate in the Trinitarian love of God. This is how Justin started this series four weeks ago, is saying this is why this conversation is so important. And I want to end with it at this very place as well, because we are called into something bigger than ourselves, not to be spectators, but to be in the midst of it all, because Jesus, the Son of God. My application, what does it mean to delight in the Son? Simple, but not so simple. Delighting in the Son of God means to delight in the things that the Son of God delighted in. That means we delight in the Father. That's our lifelong wrestle and our lifelong goal is to learn how we can delight in the Father just as we see Jesus delighting in the Father. It's not about being a good person. It's not about making good choices. It's not about all of these external things, though all of those things are important as we reflect the glory of God, right? But that's not primary. What is primary is that we fall deeply in love with who Christ is through the love of the Father and as the Spirit leads us. So, a lot of us, dare I say many of us in this room, uh, we're entering into Christmas break. And I want to encourage you that as you have a couple days off from work, uh, from other responsibilities, even if you're traveling with family and you're like, Jordan, that's more work. Um, it's cool. Uh, we can still participate in this, right? So as life changes, don't check out from life. Don't just disengage because you don't have to show up to work uh, at uh, 8, 9 a.m. Or if you work at TCC, 5.50 in the morning. Um, for those of you who know, you know. Um, people love early meetings here at TCC. Anyway, um, take advantage of Christmas break. Let's mimic what Jesus mimicked or what Jesus did. We mimic what Jesus did as he constantly pulled away. Jesus constantly spent time with the Father. Jesus constantly worked on his relationship with his Father. When ministry was busy, he found time to get away. It wasn't the most conducive times because the boat left him. Unlike him, we can't walk on the water to catch up to it. But we need to retreat. We need to spend that time with our Father. So during Christmas break, find time to get away. Whatever your normal rhythms are, if this isn't normal for you, find one time to get away during Christmas break, to retreat, and in your retreat, either or pray, worship, listen to some worship music, read, read scripture, start reading the book of John through what we've already seen and what we're going to see in the future, reflect, journal, engage with God. This is so helpful for me in my relationship with God. I, I lean on this from Romans chapter eight. Like whenever I don't have words to pray, I ask the spirit of God to give me words because, um, because the spirit of God is praying on my behalf before the throne of God. And so whenever I lean on the spirit to say, spirit, just give me words to write or give me words to pray. Give me something to focus on. Give me something to read. Without fail, the Holy Spirit leads me. Engage with that during this Christmas break. If it's not a normal practice, do it once. If you're like, usually I do that one time, great. Push yourself, do it twice. 
You see where I'm going with it. Engage, engage, engage. Okay. I want to close us, and as I do, I want to invite the worship team up. And as form of application and what we're supposed to do with this text, I don't want to say anything else other than what the Apostle Paul says to us. So our tables of communion will be open here in a minute. And what communion is, is us as followers of Jesus. If you follow Jesus, we get to come to the table together to be unified in who Christ is with us. And we get to take the body, that is, um, take the bread that is the broken body of Christ to dip it into the, um, the cup, which is represents the blood of Christ as we repent and look and reflect on our lives and we recenter our lives on Christ. So seeing who Christ is in the midst of um, Colossians chapter one, reflecting on who Christ is to us, is he someone that we just look at from afar to be like, he's, good, he's a great person for me to model my life after, or is he someone I'm actually surrendering myself to? Come to the tables with that question of celebration and or repentance. And look, uh, remember these words that Paul ended with as he spoke to the church in Colossians, verses 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel in which you have heard, which, you have been, um, which has been proclaimed to you um, in all of creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, have become a minister. It's not a good story for us to look at and be marveled by. It's a good story for us to surrender our lives to. Holy Spirit of God, lead us. We need you more than anything else in this world. Lead us to see you in your beauty and your glory. We love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength, but we need your help. Help us in our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray.